Thank you, choir, for sharing today, and thank you, Bill and Miss Glenda and Miss Jeannie, for leading in worship. As we begin our time of study together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we have been blessed by the songs that we've sung. We've been blessed by the time of prayer that we've had and the scripture that has been read and all of the things that we have done so far in our worship of you. And Lord, as we t- turn to your word to hear from you and to hear what you would say to us, your people, Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to say that would encourage and build up and that you would take away those words that would distract or lead astray. Lord, that we would be formed by your word into the people that you would have us to be. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 and we're going to look at verses 5 through 15 as we look at what Jesus has to say to us about prayer today. And uh, if you've been following along for the last four weeks, we've been looking at different ways that we worship. We've been answering the question of how we worship. And so we looked at baptism and the Lord's Supper and, and uh, singing and confession. And particularly over the last two weeks, as I've talked about the, the worship of confession and the worship of singing, one of the themes that I hope that you've picked up on in those two sermons is the fact that confession and singing are expressions of the delight of our hearts. As I said with the issue of confession, what we talk about reflects the condition of our hearts. And with singing, what we sing about flows out of our heart's delight. So worship through confession and through singing both reflect a heart that is dependent on the Lord. Well, this morning, I want us to consider what I think is the clearest way that we show our heartfelt dependence on God. And the clearest way that we show that we are totally dependent on God is through a life that is devoted to prayer. So prayer is, a, is something that uh, you are either devoted to or th- something that you struggle with. I know that I personally, I struggle to, to find the time and to think clearly and to be prepared to pray. And I have to be very disciplined about my prayer life. But for some people, it just comes naturally. And I've talked about some friends before that we have. Uh, Leah and I have one particular friend that if you meet her in Walmart, you better and you say anything about a struggle you're going on with, you better be ready to pray in Walmart right there. And many of us know people like that or we are people like that. Some of us don't struggle that hard with prayer. We readily do it, but others struggle with it. But in, in any case, we talk a lot about prayer. We have a, have a major fixture of our worship service being our prayer time. We use it as a way of encouraging people to say, hey, I'll pray for you. Uh, but it's something that I think we don't understand very well many times. And, and so I want to spend this morning talking about the different aspects of prayer and talking about how we can pray well as believers and as a congregation. Um, And it's been said, and typically the definition that is given for prayer, is that prayer is simply the act of conversation with God. And I do think to a large degree that's true. But I think there's a deeper thing that is going on when we pray. And it's really summed up in, in what Pastor John Piper said, and I like what he said. He puts it this way, prayer is the turning away from ourselves to God in the confidence 
that He will provide the help we need. Prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as wealthy. Prayer is more than just the occasional conversation with God. When we pray, we are exalting God and minimizing ourselves. In other words, we are worshiping. We are glorifying God by seeking Him with our needs. So this morning, I want us to understand as much as we can about prayer. And we're going to look at a lot. And, and I apologize, if, especially if you're a note taker, you're, you're going to set your, pay, your paper on fire today because we're going to cover a whole lot of stuff. We're going to look at the who, why, how, what, and when of prayer. And I've got a very short time of an hour and a half to get that done. So let's get into it. Um, <laughs> Let, uh, so we're going to look at all of this based out of Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. So follow along with me as we read together God's Word. God's Word says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the, at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty, empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So to understand prayer, we have to start by asking, to whom do we pray? Now that might, for us Christians, all of us in this church, we, we pray regularly to God. And we, we, that might seem like a silly question to ask. But I think if we're going to understand prayer well, we have to answer this question first. Who is it that we pray to? So in this passage that we just read, Jesus is preaching his famous Sermon on the Mount and he comes to this section in, uh, that he covers where he covers prayer. And in his teaching, he gives what I like to call the model prayer. Now we call this the Lord's Prayer and we pray this before football games and, and many churches pray this as part of their worship service. And we call it the Lord's Prayer, but I really feel like John chapter 17 is actually the Lord's Prayer. And this instead is a model prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples so that they might know how to pray. And you notice in verse 9, the way Jesus starts his model prayer is by saying what? Our Father who art in heaven. So the first answer to the question of who we pray to is this. We pray to the Father. 
When we pray to the Father of heaven and earth, we are recognizing two things. First of all, we are recognizing that God is sovereign over all things and is able to grant our prayer. So when we pray, we, by uh, praying to God the Father, we are praying, recognizing that God is able to answer our prayers. If he, if he isn't, if He isn't sovereign, then what's the point in praying? But rather, when we pray, we are praying to the God who is sovereign over all things. So we don't pray like the pagans do, running back and forth to the different gods, hoping that, the, that this one God might be, empower, be powerful enough to grant our prayer or pray, hoping that this, this God is over the right thing and able to have control over the situation that we're in. We don't do like the pagans do, praying to different gods with the hope that they might be powerful enough to answer it. And we don't pray like some mistaken Christians do, calling upon Mary or some saint to intercede for us. We pray directly to the Father because we believe that He is able to do what we ask. Amen. Second, we pray to the Father because we know that He is compassionate towards those who call on Him. The Father of heaven is our Father. The unique thing about the way Jesus teaches us to pray is He doesn't teach us to call God Jehovah. He doesn't teach us to call God the Almighty. He doesn't tell us to call God any other name but Father. So when we come to God, we approach Him as our Heavenly Father. And that means He is compassionate towards us. Psalm 145 verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on Him. Yet it's not enough to say that we pray to the Father. Anyone who has studied the Bible long enough knows that we have a problem. Because if you study the Bible and you study what it says about prayer, particularly, the Bible very clearly states that God hears the prayers of those who are righteous. For example, Proverbs 15, 8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to Him. Now we see this played out in the history of Israel because Israel, there were many times when Israel would sin terribly. Particularly a good example of that is when they uh, made a golden calf while Moses was up on the mountain. And in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 20, Moses reminds them that God was ready to destroy them, but Moses prayed for them and God relented. So what we find in Scripture is that the sinner needs someone to mediate for him. The sinner needs someone who is righteous to pray so that that person will not be judged. Now you might be saying, now preacher, I'm not nearly as bad as most of the people out there in the world. I'm not nearly as bad as most of the people in this church house. I know what they do during the weekend. So I'd consider myself to be righteous. But we have a problem if we think that. Because Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. So it appears that we're stuck. 
We know that God, that we can pray directly to the Father, but how do we know that He will hear us? In John chapter 14, verse 13, Jesus tells His disciples, Whatever you ask in My name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The good news is that it is because of Jesus Christ that the Father hears our prayers. It is because God has imputed righteousness, the righteousness of His Son, to us that we can now approach the throne with boldness. We don't come to the Father because we are personally righteous. We come to the Father because of the righteousness of His Son. And we can come boldly because we know that regardless of what has happened this week, regardless of how we have sinned against God, He stands ready to forgive and accept us as His children because of what Jesus Christ has done. So you might be thinking, okay, I know that I can pray to the Father, and I know that I can pray because of Jesus, but I, sometimes I just don't know how to pray. I'm so eat up with the problem that I face, I'm so eat up with the sin that I'm committing, that I just don't know how or what to pray. Well, if you're in that situation, take heart, because Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray, Uh, to, to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So we pray to the Father, we pray through the Son, and we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. When you pray, the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is there with you, giving you the words to pray and helping you in your prayer needs. So when you pray, and I would just as a practical note, I would encourage you to pray that the Spirit would help you to know how to pray. And the Spirit will come alongside of you and enable you to pray deeply to the Father. So now that we know the who of prayer, we need to ask, why should we pray? Now, if you notice back in Matthew chapter 6, in verses 6 and 8, Jesus actually presents a little bit of a theological problem for us as we talk about prayer. Notice in both of those verses, he basically says that God knows everything. He says in verse 6 that God sees in secret. And then in verse 8, he says that he knows everything that we need before we ask, right? He says that very thing right there. So if God knows all things... And if God is sovereign over all things, and if God has His plan that will come to pass, why should we pray? So the Reformed theologian John Frame uh, gives three reasons that we should pray that I found very helpful in my study. And I want to add a fourth reason that we should pray that that I found in my own study. The first reason that we should pray is we should pray simply because the Bible commands it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 tells us to pray in everything. Understand this, there is never a reason not to pray. You may already know the solution to your problem. You may know exactly what you need to do to to resolve the problem that you have. But that still means that you should pray, 
even if you know exactly what should happen, you should still pray because God commands you to do it. Second, we should pray because it means uh, because it is a means of fellowship with God. In Luke chapter eleven, verse nine through thirteen, Jesus compares prayer to the relationship that a father has to his son. He says, uh, "What father, when he his son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent?" Like a son fellowships with his father through his dependence on him, so too we fellowship with God through prayer. And third, we should pray because prayer does, in fact, change things. In Isaiah chapter 37, I'd encourage you to go read that this afternoon for your Lord's Day reading. Read Isaiah 37 and 38, actually. But Isaiah 37 recalls two different times where God sent word to King Hezekiah that something bad was going to happen. The first time that he sent word, it was that uh, the Assyrians were going to be at the door shortly and that they were going to destroy Jerusalem. And the second was that Hezekiah himself would die of a sickness. In both cases, it's noted that Hezekiah prayed and God responded to his prayer by changing the circumstances. Now, saying that prayer changes things tends to present a problem for us because, like I said earlier, if God is sovereign and He has a perfect plan for the world, then how can our prayers change things? What we fail to recognize, though, is that prayer has always been a part of God's plan. Understand this, brothers and sisters, God has always purposed to answer the prayers of His people. It's kind of like if you said, uh, if you were in the military and you were getting ready to uh, attack a particular uh, enemy and your commander said, now I want you to go over to this, to the east side of the front and I want you to listen Uh, for my command, and when my command comes, I want you to go. Now, if you never heard that command, would the plan work? No, it wouldn't work at all. Because the communication of of the command was part of the plan. In the same way, prayer is our communication to God, and God has always intended For that to be a part of his plan. So when we pray, we are, especially as we pray in the will of the Father for the things that the Father desires, then we are part of the plan of God. And God chooses to work through our prayers to bring himself glory. Now, can God carry out his will regardless of whether we pray or not? Absolutely. Does He want us to pray so that we can show our dependence on Him and so that He can work through our prayers? Absolutely. So the fourth reason we should pray is this. Prayer is an act of worship. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 says that the prayers of the saints are like incense before the throne of God. That is a beautiful picture that God gives in Revelation 5, 8 of the angels bringing these bowls of incense to God. And it says that the bowls are full of the prayers of the saints. 
So when we pray, we are worshiping God. Prayer, even when it's about the smallest of things, communicates our dependence on the Lord. And this brings glory to Him. So next, we need to ask how we should worship. I mean, I'm sorry, how we should pray. In Matthew 6, Jesus gives us three rules as to how we should pray. First of all, in verse 5, we find that we should pray with humility. He says, instead of praying for public recognition like the hypocrites do, we should pray in secret. We should pray so that we might talk to God, not so others might see us do it. Second, in verse 7, he says that we should pray in faith. Jesus warns us not to pray as the pagans do. The pagans had a practice of basically using incantations or spells. And so they thought that by organizing their words in a certain way, they could fool the gods into doing what they wanted to do. If they spoke poetically enough, if they spoke fancy enough, they could get the gods to do what they wanted to do. But rather, Jesus says, God already knows what you need before you ask. So you should pray in faith, knowing that God hears you and is able to answer your prayer. Third, in verse 14, Jesus tells us that we should pray from a position of repentance. The warning that he gives here is a hard word, and it's one that pastors and and theologians have wrestled over for years. But I think if I just simplify it down, I think what Jesus is driving at is that um, our lives should be a picture of what it is to truly be forgiven. If we know that we are forgiven... And if we know that we were sinners that are saved by the grace of God, then we should be ready and willing to forgive others. So in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells the story of a tax collector and a Pharisee that go into the temple to pray. And the Pharisee prays, and he remember the story, he thanks God that I am not like this tax collector. But the tax collector, all he can do is to beat his breast and to pray for forgiveness because he knows he is a sinner. Remember what Jesus says. He says it is the tax collector that leaves that temple that day forgiven. So what should we pray about? Jesus gives us four ways to pray in his model prayer. So let's look at real quickly what Jesus gives us to pray about. Verse 9, Jesus starts with a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We should hallow God's name, which is to say that we should praise Him for who He is and thank Him for what He has done. Colossians Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Second, Jesus leads us to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should pray for the things that God cares about. I think it was lovely that Miss Lenita brought up the, the prayer for our lost loved ones. 
Something that we should pray fervently for is the salvation of our friends and our family members and people that we know at work and whoever we come in contact with. We should pray for those things because that is the stuff that God cares about. We should pray for justice to be done in this world. We should pray for the missions efforts of our church and our denomination and the the Christian church at large to go forth and to be successful. We should pray for our church to be unified and to grow in faith. We should pray for everything that we can that glorifies God. We should pray for God's kingdom to come. Third, in verse 11, Jesus teaches us to pray for our needs. Now, most examples that you find in Scripture are those that of what we call intercession, where someone is praying for their own personal needs or for the needs of a friend or for the needs of the church. So, for example, in James chapter 5, verse 13, James tells us to pray for the healing of our brothers and sisters in the church. And the last way that we should pray or the last thing that we should pray about is in verse 12. We should pray for our forgiveness. So uh, we talked about confession a few weeks back and how we should confess our sins and pray that the Lord would forgive us, knowing that He stands ready to forgive us because of what Christ has done. So confession of sins is a part of our prayer to God. So the last thing that I want to look at is when should we pray? So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. So that seems like a pretty easy answer there, right? We should pray at all times whenever we can. I take this to mean that the whole of our lives is to be a constant conversation with God. When we wake up in the morning, we should pray for strength for the day. When we go to work, Whether it's a challenging day or not, we should pray for wisdom and patience and and love for our fellow worker and for uh, good fortune in our work. When we hear of someone's need, we should pray immediately for them. Even if it's in Walmart, (laughs) we should pray readily for them. But it's also wise that we should set aside a time and a place for prayer. Jesus tells us in verse 6 of this passage that we just read that we should pray in private. And we see plenty of examples in the Old and New Testament of saints who set aside a time and a place for prayer. Now, I personally, because of my work schedule and all that I have to get ready for during the day, I get up early in the morning so that I will have time to pray. Um, And whether you get up early in the morning or you set aside your lunch hour for prayer, or you um, pray before you go to bed at night. I don't really care what time you take for prayer, but you should be sure to set a daily prayer time for yourself. Because I have found, as one who does struggle with uh, the motivation to pray and, and just thinking about prayer and thinking to pray, I can say that I have grown in my prayer life by being disciplined to set aside a time to pray faithfully every day. So we should also pray as a congregation. We should pray when we come together 
to worship. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we find that the first church devoted themselves to praying together. So we should dedicate our worship time, and we do dedicate a large portion of our worship time to prayer. And we should do that for two reasons, I think. First of all, it's a beautiful and edifying thing to see God's people praying for one another. The fact that we know the needs of our congregation and we pray for one another is a beautiful and edifying work that we do for each other. But it's also an opportunity for us to hear how God has been at work in our congregation. It's a wonderful thing every so often when we get to hear about someone being healed from cancer or someone being brought through a trial or someone coming to faith in Christ or whatever it might be. It's a beautiful thing for us as a congregation to pray for one another and then to see those prayers being answered. And it's something that we ought to be ready to testify to when we have our prayer time. Not just our needs, but the ways in which God has blessed us and answered our prayers. So brothers and sisters, prayer should be an act of worship which shows our total dependence on our God. When we pray, we are worshiping God by saying that we are needy and He is wealthy. May we be faithful to pray and may we rejoice in the ways that God answers our prayers. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, You are indeed gracious and good to us. And Lord, we thank You for the ways in which You have worked in our church, the ways that You have worked in our own lives to answer our prayers. Lord, we know that You command us to do it. We know that it is a way that we fellowship with You through our prayers. And we know that You do work our prayers into Your plan for this world. So, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful and diligent in it. Lord, that we each individually would pray for uh, our own needs, but the needs of our congregation, that we would be faithful to set aside daily time to pray and to worship you in that, but that we would also be faithful to pray for uh, our congregation and for your missions work around the world and for all the things that uh, sum up and, and define what your kingdom is. Father, bless us as we continue to worship you. May we worship in spirit and in truth as you have called us to. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. At this time, Bill and uh, Glenn.